Do you know the cost of the fare that you pay to get away from the Ninevites in your life? Do you know who the Ninevites are in your life? We come from a great world tradition in Scripture where people would tell stories. The people of God would always talk about who God is. And within history came a time where the people of God said, we need to write these things down. We need to record these stories so that they not only would be preserved, but as the Spirit guided and led through this process, that the next generation and so on and so on might be able to see the full revelation, the special revelation of who God is and who we are as God's people. Isn't that what we see in the story of the Bible? It reveals to us who God is and reveals to us also who we are as God's people. So as they're sitting down and as they're trying to figure out which one of these stories is right, going to make sure that they continue to tell, they're going to write it down. Can you imagine the, maybe a group of people that might have been just sitting in a room, kicking around, telling different stories, joking and laughing, crying, and remembering who they are as God's people? And someone's like, you know that story about Jonah? Let's put that one in. Oh, yeah, 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 Jonah, hold on. Well, Jonah's going to take X amount of parchment, or in today's language, it's only four chapters long. But Jonah, uh, yeah, 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 Jonah, Jonah, what did he do? What did he do? Oh, yeah, I forgot. He, him and the whale, right? Let's put that one in. Were you ever confused by that story? I love the story of Jonah and the whale. But it's also one of those interesting Sunday school stories that as you look at it, the truth is, the story of Jonah just isn't about the whale. That's the fun part. It's the interesting part for sure. It's one of the most unique things about his story. But there's something much deeper that's going on within this story that I just want to share and talk with you a little bit about. And shout out to all the middle school and high school uh, English teachers, to the music teachers, to the theater teachers that give us the tools that we need to be able to see how stories just don't give us information, but stories transform us. And that's what the story of Jonah will hopefully do as part of the greater story of who God is and who we are in the Bible. So in the first chapter, you see that Jonah is called to go to the city of Nineveh. And he hops on a boat, heading out of town in the other direction. You may not know much about the geography of the Bible. That's totally cool. You know, all these weird town names, we get it. But Tarshish is simple. It's in the opposite direction of Nineveh. It's going the furthest away. God says, go to Nineveh. He says, okay, see you later. I'm going the opposite way. Now, we can relate to this story sometimes because God would invite us to go someplace or to do something, and we basically say, thank you, no thank you. I'm out of here. I'm not doing this. I'm, I'm heading in the other direction. But to really understand more about Jonah and the city of which he's called to, you have to think through part of the story of the Old Testament to understand who these Ninevites are. Do you know who the Ninevites are in your life? Well, let's talk about who they were for Jonah. Well, Second Kings talks about there were three Assyrian kings who came into the city of Jerusalem and absolutely destroyed it. But before destroying it, they basically starved all of its inhabitants. And then the people who survived, they took them and deported them uh, and made them slaves in the exile. And then, just for fun, they decided to destroy the entire city. I mean, just demolish it. Now, 
Have any of you ever seen the movie The Passion of the Christ? Okay. So, did you know that that movie is rated R? It's because of the language, isn't it? Right? No, no, it wasn't the language. It was the violence. Right? So you can read the crucifixion story just in your Bible and see the brutality of what Jesus endured for us, for his love for us. Now, Mel Gibson decided to put that on film. And that was a hard movie to watch. It was beautiful, but hard as well, right? Beautiful. Move, moved us to tears. But it was a very violent film. In fact, the college that Scott and I went to, we would have had to ask permission to, ask, to, to watch that movie, to watch that rated R movie. I mean, it was very violent. Now, I say that just to kind of put that mental picture in your mind because the Romans who did that to Jesus, they couldn't hold a candle to the brutality of the Assyrian Empire. In fact, if I told you what the Assyrians used to do to the people that they oppressed, it'd be offensive. It wouldn't be appropriate for me to talk about today. It's absolutely cruel and brutal and just disgusting. Where do you think the Romans learned some of it from? Now, Nineveh is the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. Let's make that connection, right? So, Jonah, I want you to go into the belly of the beast of the most brutal people of the day, and I want you to go and uh, give him a word from me. Now do you understand where he says, ah, thank you very much, no thank you. The coach Bill Parcells said that if you want to cross the bridge, you have to pay the toll. And what I submit to us today as well is that if you want to run away from the Ninevites of your life, you're going to have to pay the fare. That's what Jonah does. What is the fare that we pay in running from the Ninevites of our lives? He gets on this boat, he drops down whatever coins he needs to drop down, and he starts to head out of town. Now remember, think about story and the, the tools that we've been given to understand stories as transformative. In the very first chapter, you see he's hanging out with a bunch of pagan sailors. And the first chapter is just incredible with all the way that they're described and some of the interactions that happen. Okay, it's only four chapters long, you can read it later today. It's going to be a fun read. So you're going to go and you're going to see that, in fact, Jonah, who is the prophet of God, should be acting this way, but he's actually acting this way. It's a story of contrast. And then these pagan sailors, who we think would be acting like this, actually act the way Jonah should be acting. And what's funny is, even before Jonah gets swallowed by the big fish, he converts by just his sheer lack of effort or being tossed into the sea, he converts all of these pagan sailors. They turn to the Lord, which is a powerful foreshadowing of what will happen in just another chapter. Chapter two, he's now in the belly of the whale. Or, I mean, the word, word whale isn't in the Hebrew, so sometimes I'll say whale, sometimes I'll say fish. But he's there, and he has this beautiful prayer. The prayer takes up the whole chapter. And it talks about the highs and the lows of this experience that we call our relationship with God. Again, not just about, you know, not running from the things that God would invite us to do, but the challenge and the fear of having to do something that we really don't want to do. We don't want to go to Nineveh. And in this prayer, you see the beauty of it, but also 
in like most laments, because you would assume that if you're in the belly of a whale, you're going to be lamenting a little bit. You're going to be complaining a little bit. You're going to be frustrated a little bit. We see that in Jonah. But in all good prayers of lament, there comes this transition point when the prayer begins to offer a remembrance of the faithfulness or the trustworthiness of God. And so the whale is just about done with Jonah and Jonah makes it to the shore. I'll let you read how he gets there, right? But he's, he makes it to the shore. In chapter 3, he now decides to go to the city of Nineveh. And he's walking through the city, and he basically says, in 40 days, you're going to be overthrown. You're done. Whatever. You know, you could just, his message is not really winning friends and influencing people. He's just kind of like, eh, whatever. Now, the, the message makes it all the way to the king of Nineveh. And uh, basically, this ruler of right, the capital city of the Assyrian Empire turns to the Lord, even despite Jonah's half-hearted measures, turns to the Lord and then calls for the city, the, the nation, his family to put on sackcloth. Now, sackcloth is a garment that you wear to express mourning for something. You know, you're upset about something, you're grieving something. It was also a, a garment that you would wear as an act of repentance. Like, I'm sorry, I'm grieving my sins. So you put on this garment, and that's what they call putting on sackcloth. You see it a lot in the Old Testament. Now, what happens, what's different about this part of the story, is that it says not only, not only the people, but let's put it on the animals too. Let's put it on the animals. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Put on all the animals as well in the city. Now, whenever you see something strange like that, because that's strange. When you see something strange in the Bible, there's a reason why it's there, and it's because it's strange. It's meant to show you the absurdity of the length of which this king of Nineveh, who was probably one of the most brutal leaders of the day, is willing to show his repentance and turning to the Lord. Not only is he wearing sackcloth, his family, in fact, the whole city, but his animals, the cattle. Did he try to put one on his cat? Would that work out well for him? I don't think it would. So <laughs> here is this moment now where if we were all Jonah, I mean, wouldn't you be like kind of excited? This would be kind of a successful event. But here's his reaction at the beginning of chapter four. It says this. But Jonah, this seemed wrong, very wrong. Mm. And he became angry. Why? Oh, well, he prays to the Lord again. This is what he says. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew. I knew this. What did, jo what did Jonah know? Well, it's right there. Let's take a look. I knew that you are gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. I knew that. That's why I ran. We can talk about Jonah and the whale. We can talk about Jonah and the, the big fish. That's the easy message about faith, you know, and trying to do what God calls you to do. 
That's, I don't think that's exactly what this story is about, though. Because Jonah himself will tell us. There's a reason why he ran. It's because he knew something about God. And he named God as having the following traits. Gracious, compassion, abounding in steadfast love. Willing, you know, relenting for sin and calamity. Why did he not want to go to Nineveh? Because he didn't want them to have it. He didn't want them to have it too. That's, that's the challenge of the story of Jonah. You see, we're all going to pay a fare to head in the boat away from the Ninevites. But what I see from Jesus and his message is also that we are called to go to the Ninevites of our lives. He tells lots of stories. Maybe you've heard about the story of the unmerciful servant. You see him going to outsiders, the Samaritan woman by the well. You see it all throughout his story of how he is always doing something and going somewhere that is stretching the minds of his disciples and even our minds as well in today's world. I love how, right, people think that the Bible's like this primitive book that doesn't make sense. And yeah, when you just talk about Jonah and this big old whale, you could easily discount it as being that. Uh, Jonah and the whale, and you can either prove that it scientifically can happen, or you're like, oh, it's just an allegory and it doesn't really matter, so why should I believe it anyway? And so what happens is, really the, the, the truth is, when you just talk about Jonah and the whale, you're not really talking about the true message of Jonah. The true message of Jonah is that sometimes his people we don't want the Ninevites of our lives, we don't want our enemies to have the love of God like we do. And I know that you don't necessarily have enemies, right? You're good people. Do you have like a nemesis that you've set your will against? I, I, I don't know if you have that. Are you planning a duel with anybody later today? No? Okay, your calendars are free. Good, you don't have any duels scheduled. So I don't know if you've got like someone that you would name as like an enemy. But Jesus invites us to love our enemies. Why does he have to do that? Because he knows enough about us as humans that we do have people that maybe you don't want to call them enemies. Maybe they're just that person or maybe that group of people. You see, whenever we're trying to understand who we are, not only just as God's people, but just kind of in general, who, who's our tribe? Who's our crew? Who's our squad? Who's the people that we run with? In doing that, we also create, while creating in us, we create a them. We live in sort of this dualism, this narrative of there's always going to be an us versus a them. There's always going to be the Israelites versus the Ninevites. And the message of Jonah is that sometimes, as God's people, we're called to go and to share the grace that we've received with the people that we think don't deserve it. I mean, honestly, that's what we struggle with the most, isn't it? This person doesn't deserve it because it's challenging for us. Stick with me. It's challenging for us to be able to understand the unconditional love of God when we live in a world that's full of conditions. Am I right? We've got all of these things, these boxes that you must check off in order to receive. You know, it, not even with the, as you have so freely received, freely give. No, we've got a checklist 
uh, before we start to dole out that which we have received, this person, this group of people, whoever we want to name them to be, has to fit our standards. Whether they look like us or they talk like us, they believe like us, they whatever it would be. Jesus gives us the sign of Jonah as well. So many times we're wanting to demand a sign from God. How do I love my neighbor as myself? Well, Jesus tells a story about that as well. What do I need to do? How many times should I forgive my my brother or sister if they offend me? He's got all these things, but the Pharisees were asking for a sign. The Pharisees were the teachers of the law. Let's put that scripture up. Thanks, Elise. And the teachers of the law, they, they say, we want a sign from you. And he gives them this sign. It's called the sign of Jonah. A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Okay, well, what is that now? And Jesus says, as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, pause there for a second. Sorry, go back to that slide. Let's stay there just for a second. Because what happens is we take that and we take the story and we put it right back into the story of Jonah and the whale. And we start to see, yes, Jesus is, is in the ground and, and Jonah's in the belly of fish, three days, three nights. Uh, what, what did Jesus do that was three days? Let me think. I'm trying to remember, trying to remember. Come back this spring. We'll talk about it at Easter time. Uh, in his death and in his burial and in his resurrection gives us a sign where Jesus is going to literally put to death not only the demand for a sign, but for a whole system Watch out, a whole system that will demand validation. This is this unconditional weird thing called grace. What does Jonah name God as being gracious? What is this thing? It means there's nothing you can do to prove yourself. There will be no sign that you can give in order to validate yourself to be worthy enough to receive God's grace in your life. That's weird. That's the amazing grace that we sing about and we talk about. But it's not just about the belly of the fish. The next verse, the men of Nineveh will stand at the judgment with this generation. Let's let's take this story of Jonah, and we're going to take you Pharisees and teachers of the law, and we're going to take those Ninevites. You remember the story of Jonah? You want to think about Jonah? It's not just the belly of fish. Let's take the Ninevites. We're going to stand them right next to you. And what are they going to do? They're going to condemn you. They repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now something greater than Jonah's here. You, you, you want to create a them? This isn't even the first time Jesus does this. Man, he does this all the time. You want to create a them? Don't be shocked when they actually live in the way of my father and they condemn you. That's a hard message to hear, isn't it? We have to, as God's people, then reflect on the Ninevites of our lives, not just this story being a story of, yeah, sometimes when God calls me to go somewhere, I don't go because I don't want to do it. Yeah, been there, done that. Or uh, sometimes, you know, I, I struggle and I feel like I'm in the darkness, like in the belly of the fish. Yeah, I get it. Been there, done that. But really, the message from what I see from Jonah is this. Are you willing to go? Not just to the people that love you. Are you willing to love those not that just love you back, but will you love your enemies as well? 
Will you love the Ninevites of your life? Will you offer them grace? Will you go to them? Even though you know, because you know that God is these things, that's what we wrestle with the most. He knew it. He knew God was like this. And he knew that if he went there, the people that he felt didn't deserve God's love would receive it. And he didn't want it. He paid a fare to get on a boat out of town. And the fares that we pay in our world today for running from the Ninevites of our lives are bearing fruit in the challenge and the division of our world, of our churches, of our country, of our families, of our own divided hearts, right? So, the end of the story of Jonah is him like chapter 4, Right? You, you see him struggling in, and he, he just gets really frustrated. And this plant kind of rises up, and, and then it, you know, it burns away. And Jonah's just, or Jonah's just like absolutely frustrated. He just wants to be done with this thing called life. Let's look at the very end of the story of Jonah. But the Lord said, Jonah, you've been concerned about the plant. Remember the coming and the going. You didn't tend it. You didn't make it grow, it sprang, up, it sprang up overnight and it died overnight. And should I not have concern? Shouldn't I be concerned for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also don't forget the animals. Can't forget the animals. That's the end of the story. Scene. Shouldn't I be concerned? I love how stories end like this. It may frustrate you, but I love it. You know why? Because we as the listener, we as the reader, get to now in our own life begin to write the end of this story. We don't know what Jonah does. We don't know if he just continues to sit there and, and act like a, like a mopey teenager. Sorry, teenagers, you're cool, but you know, he is kind of acting like a teenager in this moment. But we don't know what he's going to do, if he's going to be there and continue to be upset, or if he has a dawning a revelation, realization that says, you're right. Thanks for that example, God, I, you're right. You're concerned about Nineveh, so should I be too. We get to write the end of the story. Because it hasn't been written. You get to write it in the way that you live. It's your choice. It's your choice now about how you will be concerned or not. Or to take pity, as another translation would say, or not. There's a day called Yom Kippur in the Jewish tradition, which is called the Day of Atonement. It's a day where they remember who God is and who they are as God's people, even still today in the Jewish tradition. It's one of the high holy days where they make sure everybody comes together and they gather at the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. You could think of all the different stories from the Old Testament that we would help shape and inform who they are as God's people on how to grieve for their sins and how God is one who forgives and reminds them of who they are as a beloved people. You know what story they also tell on the Day of Atonement? They read all four chapters of the book of Jonah. On the Day of Atonement. Why? Because the whale is so cute. It's just a 
such a cool story about the fish and the swimming and the boats and isn't isn't this a, truly a story for us as people today in a world that we live in today that how far must we repent what does it mean to atone tell that story about jonah what, the whale? Yeah, the whale's in it, but tell the story because sometimes we run too. We run from our enemies. We run because we don't want the people that have hurt or oppressed us to receive the same grace that we have. How far will repentance go? It needs to go all the way because how far does grace go? It will go all the way. What's the fare you've been paying running from the Ninevites of your life. Let's head in the other direction. Let us pray. We'll invite for our worship team to come and to lead us in a time of response as well. Let us pray. For each one of us, Lord, we might have to do something could be different, but a way how we are reminded of the great grace that we've received. We don't want to forget that powerful message of how you have loved us, have called us your own, have, have invited us to be salt and light in our world. We don't want to forget that you call us your children today. You call us your beloved. You invite us to share as we have so freely received, so we shall freely give. How much, how far, and to whom are some of the questions that we still wrestle with. But by your spirit, you can help us. You can shape us and open us even more to go to the Ninevites of our lives. We need your help with this because it just doesn't come natural to us. There have been people who have hurt us. We struggle in some of our relationships. It's hard to forgive. It's not natural. Only by your spirit can you give us the strength and the presence that we need to be able to offer such a grace to the Ninevites of our lives. Would you help us? We'll trust you because we have received a love that changes us. We praise you. And all of God's people can say, amen.